BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Incomparable, number 634, September 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable. Your regular host, Jason Snell, has overslept. I'm Tony Sindelar, filling in for him. Uh, tonight, today, this morning, whenever you're listening, we are talking about the uh, recent Netflix show, uh, The Sandman. And assembled with me is a panel of lovely, wonderful guests who have watched the show and come prepared to talk about it. Allow me to introduce them in an order that I am choosing right now. First up... It's Shannon Sutterth. Hi, Shannon. Hola, freakies. <laughs> also joining us, Glenn Fleischman. Hey there. Uh, I, I don't think I've woken up yet, but I'm I'm still ready for duty. Next up, it's Dan Morin. As someone who is very sleep deprived, I feel <laughs> that I'm in a perfect state to talk about this. <laughs> also joining us, uh, Sarah Bickerton. Oh, given the time in New Zealand, I feel like I'm the most closest to sleep right now. Mm. <laughs> And the second Sutterth of the panel, two Sutterth, no waiting, Chip Sutterth. We begin in the podcasting world, which humanity insists on calling the real world. Mm. Eh, does it? Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> Let's give you some uh, spoiler-free overviews of The Sandman before we, we dive in and take it apart. Uh, this is a recent uh, Netflix series based on the, I, I, I want to call it legendary uh, comic book uh, from uh, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, written uh, by Neil Gaiman and a rotating series of uh, uh, artists. Uh, this is a comic book uh, that has, people have been attempting to adapt this into a film or TV series for 30 years. Uh, there was early talk of, of turning this into something as early as 1991. Uh, and here we are in 2022. It has happened. Uh, it has been through all kinds of different places. Uh, sometimes Neil Gaiman has been attached. Sometimes he is not. Uh, he is now basically publicly discussed one adaptation that he basically torpedoed uh, through, through uh, Skunk Works uh, because he thought it was rubbish. Uh, but it has finally come to fruition uh i think uh, this is a series that has been uh, much beloved to me as a, a comics reader and a reader especially of pretty much everything in the vertigo series in the 90s for better or worse uh and they, they finally did it they did it they, they put it on netflix as a 10 or 11 depending on when you started watching uh series Surprise. of episodes so uh 
uh, that is uh, that is the Sandman. Uh, I, I've already divulged that I came to this as a avid fan of the comics, and I would say Neil Gaiman's work in general. Uh, what about others? What 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 made you want to seek this out, or was this just a thing you stumbled across? I was definitely one who had read the comics. Uh, Chip actually got me into the Sandman back when we uh, were were dating. Uh, and I treasured the series, have reread it many times over the years. Um, I don't think I was even aware that Netflix was doing this until like the promotion started. Mm. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, OK. Um, at least it's a TV series because, I, you know, movie, a movie would never have been enough. Um, I don't know who they thought they were kidding. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this pleased me to no end. Um, I feel like they knocked it out of the park. Um, I don't know how much of it, you know, was, of course, Gaiman's patience, waiting for the right people to work with, um, the right um, right producers and so forth to envision. I don't know how much of it is having done Good Omens mm. um, and um, American Gods and had those learning experiences mm to to mm -hmm. steer him into better directions but i just feel like this is possibly personally one of the most masterful adaptations i can think of that i've seen going from print to screen i'd like to echo exactly what shannon said except i wasn't dating chip but oh. everything else <laughs> is very accurate uh, i read i uh, came to the comic books not when they were first coming out but with the uh, absolute editions i can't remember how i I think I discovered Neil Gaiman a little bit later. Like I read all of his stuff years after he was writing it and then started to read him more contemporaneously. And uh, I found out about Sandman. Maybe I saw like one comic or something and I was like, oh, a library has the absolute editions. I'll just get the whole thing, you know, and they weigh, I don't know, like yes, 12 they, pounds they, a piece. A yeah, they're very Amazing. heavy. <laughs> and so I read through all those and I think I wound up reading them uh, twice. But I have the same reaction Shannon does, which is um, – you know, it's kind of not no notes, not like, but I, there's nothing I want to pick apart. I mean, I want to talk about the series a lot cause it's good, but I had that same sense of, of yeah. Neil Gaiman had mixed adaptations. I, I watched good omens, but I wasn't a fan of the original. I hadn't read it. So it didn't have that resonance to me. And then this just felt like, um, I think masterful is right. It's just every note feels almost perfect or perfect. And I, I, astonished at how well they did it. And I watched it with my 15 year old who has not read any of the comics and barely knew anything about it. And they enjoyed it just as much as I did, which was, I think a gr an incredible thing given the amount of lore there is. I want to second everything that my wife and my secret boyfriend just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, not a secret uh, anymore, Chip. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> um, I was reading Sandman pretty much in real time as it was published in 22 page uh, floppy editions. Uh, I came to <laughs> it. Uh, I came to it just after like the what we what we'd say is the second uh, trade paperback um, and was quite into it. And I love this series quite a bit. And what I'm very interested in is how people who haven't read the comic series react to it. Sandman was a big deal in comic circles, but it was never a giant seller. Um, a, a couple of special issues, the series finale, perhaps, but you know, it wasn't it it wasn't competing with X Men and. Uh, Batman at the time, it was really its own thing for the Vertigo crowd, for the um, 
for the sort of elitist com- elite comic book readers at the time, maybe. No, you could have left elitist. Whoa, 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 You're correct. The fantasy fans. The fantasy fans over here. Yeah, I made we made the point on the Thor Love and Thunder episode recently that even Iron Man back in 2008 wasn't exactly a household name. Sandman, I don't think, has ever been a real household name except to really dedicated genre fans and now it's been introduced to a netflix audience and i'm really fascinated to see because i'm too close to it i love it i can pick apart some stuff but it is the sandman it is the sandman of the comics it is i mean i was i was young when it was coming out uh i was i read it as it was being collected in trades in the late 90s so i wasn't reading it as it was being published in the early 90s. Also, I think I probably would have been too young for the subject matter. Uh, my sense is that, and you know, I've done zero research to back this up, but my sense was that it was extremely popular for a non-superhero comic, but we were still in the era where, you know, that was, that was, that there was a huge gulf between your superhero comics and your everything else comics. Um, so... Well, your your Cerebus readers. Yeah. yeah. There, there was a lot of tricky stuff coming out in the 80s is I got introduced to comics, not really collecting, but like, you know, sort of reading by some friends in college and they would, and a little after, and they would introduce me things like, you know, Concrete or yeah. um, Nexus or things like that, that were very anti-hero, non-hero, um, difficult, sometimes long, like languorous issues in which practically nothing happened and there were meditations. And so I think Sandman coming into that, even though I didn't read it when it first came out, it fit kind of perfectly and I will, into that. I will say thinking. I reread the uh, the Sandman issues that are adapted into the show roughly uh, right after watching the show, which, you know, I'd probably read them five or six times before. But it's, you know, there are appearances, kind of cameo appearances by of uh, several DC, DC, DC uh, cape, comics characters, su- yeah. superheroes, and you know, I'm sure that there were probably licensing reasons why those don't show up in the the TV show, but also they feel ridiculous, right? It's like these are not adding anything. <laughs> that was a smart yeah. move. It was like, yeah, but pro- yeah. probably we were like you know, culturally or contractually obligated to do this when we were writing this in 1990. But like reading them now, it's just like, why, why is Martian Manhunter here? Whatever. Um, I I came, let's see. I think a friend gave me a, I have a single issue. It's a reprint. It's not an original of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Mm -hmm. which is a story has not been adapted yet. Uh, But a friend gave it to me saying, you'll like this because you like Shakespeare. Uh, and I was, you know, I read some comic books and, and stuff, but I I was basically in the curated experience where people I knew who were more into it than I was would like be like, you should read this or you should read this. Um, and so somebody gave me that issue and I read it and thought, this is wild. I've got a, I think I then borrowed, he had all the graphic novels and I borrowed them all from him and uh, read them, sort of tore through them. And then I, I do, I did buy the first two absolute volumes. I don't have the last two, which now makes me... <laughs> super upset because i don't have a, a complete set of them also yeah. they're basically impossible they're, to read yeah. um because <laughs> they're so huge damn but, what uh, if you needed something to make sure yeah you gotta you need all four you gotta put one in each corner of your house to make sure the foundation settles <laughs> well yeah um, even, even, like, even <laughs> it is important but yeah. yeah i mean i think for me i loved all the the metafictional elements of sandman it, it actually has a lot as i was thinking about watching it this time it reminds me a lot in some ways of the Stephen King's The Dark Tower in terms of how mm. it plays with story and fiction and narrative. 
um, and just mixing all these sort of various genres and stuff like that. And they both are these huge, expansive, epic works. Um, but yeah, seeing the, I, I, like many of you felt like they had seen the news for years about them trying to make different adaptations and never coming to fruition. And I'm glad compared to the dark tower, which got a really lousy movie <laughs> that they did this with an actual TV show, which fits it way better. Now, Sarah, uh, in addition to being a very smart person with smart things to say, I believe we have also recruited you specifically because you are not someone who, uh, had come to the comics and then come to the show. You came to the show first, correctly. That Correct. is true. Um, yeah. I am what, yeah. I'm what's what, what's what that I've, been like? <laughs> so. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm one of Chip's, um, like, like rare people that have not read Sandman. Uh, I've also not dated Chip, so I'm going to say that there. Um, None of us are perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I know. So. This is terrible. It's, it's, I feel like it's a hole in my life. Um, but yeah, I know. I knew about the Sandman comics simply because being part of geek culture, you hear about them, you hear about the characters, you see the references. I think Friends had part, like, death like tattooed on their body somewhere. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I heard about it. And um, I actually knew that this was coming up simply again through Geek Circles, even before the promotion started. So I was really interested in it because I remember um, I, when I walked into The Martian um, by Andy Weir, the, the, um, the, the film, I, I had read the book ages ago and I walked into the cinema going – don't screw this up, don't screw this up, don't screw this up, um, because I loved the book so much, although I didn't use the word screw, I used something else. And, um, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I came out of the cinema going, oh, thank God they didn't screw it up. This was awesome. Um, so I kind of saw my, my Sandman loving friends in, in the same kind of light. They were going into the Sandman um Oh, with the, from the this comic that they've absolutely loved and and like you could tell how much passion they had and people felt really strongly which I know geeks who knew <laughs> um and um and so I I was a little bit concerned going in that it was that it was going to ruin it for them so um I was a little bit I was a little bit worried but on the other hand we had had um, good omens, which everybody absolutely loved. Um, so I had hopes that Neil Gaiman would have like taken the helm and uh, and piloted us through this. And um, I absolutely loved it. I uh, absolutely loved it. I binged it within like a few nights because it was just it was wonderful. Um, I have now downloaded the 30th anniversary versions onto. Apple Books because getting it through Amazon is a pain in the patootie <laughs> because it's like rights issues in New Zealand. <sighs> anyway, um, but yeah, I have the I have Volume One and Volume Two of the 30th anniversary um, um, on my on my iPad, but um, I'm holding off, and I specifically held off till after this podcast, Tony. So I was not spoiled <laughs> at all. Thank you. I'm fascinated, Sarah, that it was so important to you that uh, the, the the fans like uh, us who'd been there for so long would feel well served because I'm really glad that you liked it. I'm really hugely glad that you liked it, but I can't separate in some ways mm. how how glad I am that it was faithful to whether or not I can, you know, I loved it. But I've got no independent vantage point on whether it was good. And I do know some uh, some of my friends in uh, fandom circles 
who didn't care for it, who didn't get it, um, and didn't have the benefit of, uh, you know, 75 issues of comic books to fall back on. Yeah, I'll say there was some exposition issues. I mean, this is where, you know, uh, Alex once served as, uh, what do we call them? A, they were like my... uh, uh, no, no, they were my. We did some Dungeons and Dragons, and ah. uh, Tony called Alex my um, not spell concierge caddy. spell caddy. That's right. Yeah. So I was, <laughs> I was Alex's uh, a span man concierge for uh, for uh, or dictionary or something for this. So there were times when they when they were like, "What? Why did uh, Kane just kill Abel? Like, is Abel gone now?" And I'm like, "Okay, you have to wait. That'll make sense." Like, what is Stephen Fry doing here? And okay, <laughs> there were so there there were points where they had. I wouldn't say difficulty following the narrative, but there were uh, things planted that I think were completely obvious and understood to those of us who had read this, the comics and remembered them to some extent. So we're just like, oh, that's that thing. And now we get the payoff. Hooray. Yeah. Where as a casual viewer, they were, I think, uh, confused a few points because it was such a big ask of them to hold off understanding. So I don't think that's necessarily a flaw. I think a lot of media obviously mm. does that. And I, I actually really love anything that doesn't hold me by the hand yeah, and, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, throws you the in new... the deep end sort of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the... That's, that was my major thing was that like, I, I don't like being held by the hand. Mm. I like being left a tad on, uh, unmoored. Now I, I'm no, um, on Genou, so I can actually. Um, I, I did know a little bit about it thanks to osmosis from the geek community. Um, but um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not completely and innocent. But we have uh, we have basically talked about how great this show is without even giving. I, I, I guess I kind of assume that most people would have some familiarity with it. But let's let's pretend you've been listening to a podcast for roughly twenty minutes about how great Sandman is and are not sure what it's about. Uh, you're you're, you're thirty thousand foot view here is uh the sandman is about the titular sandman who is the person i guess lord of dreams but the actual personifications of dreams he's just called dream or sometimes morpheus and he is part of a family called the endless which are basically personifications of things like death and destiny and desire they also are d's uh and the adventure slash things they get into the the kind of initial hook of the series is uh, Dream gets imprisoned by some you know human cultists uh, for an extended period of time. Things bad things happen in the world. Dream gets free and then has to rebuild a lot of things that will take him uh, into conflict and uh, collaboration with all manner of strange creatures and beings and people. And you know to me the the thing that's kind of uh, amazing about about, uh, Sandman and you know a lot of Neil Gaiman's other works is just stories that are about things that you have not heard before or seen before and you know that is there is this big hook of do you want to follow around a character who is this mysterious personification of dreams is that is that a ride that you're willing to buy a ticket for uh, or not <laughs> so as you write your life story you're far from finished are you looking to close the book on your job maybe turn a page in your career Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. (laughs) 
let us sound the sil- spoiler horn. Uh, we are now into uh, specifics about uh, the, the, the characters, the episodes, and what have you. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't checked out The Sandman yet, why not do that? And then come back and listen to us talk about it. Friends? Yes. Um, what thing that strikes me the most is that first series of the comics, which runs parallel to the first half of um, the series on Netflix, that Gaiman was able to, or had to, narratively speaking, take this very grim, serious, almost ponderous main character as his protagonist. Mm. He had to imprison him for a century so that the readers would feel sympathy for him. Mm. That is like something you just can't do with live action. You can't have an, <laughs> you can't have a protagonist so unlikable. You know that, and and not really surround him with anybody. It's like you know the the first episode you have, you know this mysterious character who doesn't speak, who just glares th- through from his prison out out of his glass fishbowl uh, at the people who captured him, and there's really not any sympathetic characters to find, um, and it takes the, in my opinion, master acting of Tom Sturridge to make people feel for for the character dream to introduce um emotional beats that will draw the audience in uh and 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 bless his heart he did it without saying a word without a stitch of clothing on sitting there in that fishbowl for an entire episode and yet he was able to draw i think just his charisma and his acting was able to draw the audience in I was very happy with the uh, the casting uh, for this show. Uh, many of these were actors that I was not familiar with, but I thought they either uh, embodied uh, the look or the personality of the characters, it, kind of exactly how they were in my head. Even uh, there are a couple places where there are some characters that are uh, gender bent or uh, a different race than they presented as in the comic, but like the heart of the characters are there so perfectly uh, mm-hmm. that it totally works for me. And I was not familiar with uh, Tom Sturridge from anything before, but he to me is is was perfect uh in the way that dream is depicted and you know uh dream looks the different in different sandman comics sandman goes through uh, a variety of artists and 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 dream sometimes looks different than uh one issue to the next and Mm -hmm. uh appears physically in different forms depending on kind of what he is up to it has various wardrobes sometimes things that are kind of quite fantastical in terms of like flowing cloaks that like just like take up the atmosphere versus just a guy in a black leather jacket uh who looks like a, a goth walking down the street uh but i thought he 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 did great at that they do the version of dream in the show is definitely a lot softer uh if you can believe that mm-hmm. people who haven't read the comics the version of dream in the comics is uh I, I mean there is the idea that basically the endless in their immortality and their kind of distance from humanity uh are at times cruel and uncaring and just do not you know kind of uh, have these whims where sometimes humans get punished uh, or humans or, or dreams or nightmares or whatnot, uh, they can do things that feel very kind of thoughtless and careless and mean. Uh, and they, I think they, they buffed off some of those edges. Uh, you know, it is part of what makes the comics interesting is that, uh, you know, Sandman is, it's not a superhero comic. Sometimes it's a fantasy comic. There's elements of horror. A lot of Vertigo comics back then were, you know, Vertigo was kind of the place where it's like DC is our superhero comics and Vertigo is our place where we're going to, we're going to stick all the horror stuff over here. Uh, so there is things we're going that to play happen. with our 
yeah suggested for mature readers yes. label there uh, yeah so or, there is or mandatory <laughs> <laughs> i mean vertigo it felt like in the, in the 90s there was definitely element of like vertigo's like well if you got to earn you got to earn your space in the vertigo yeah imprint by by doing it's like you know hbo right i was gonna say it feels like it's like there's got to be some nudity that's not part of the story and some violence that's disturbing and you know it was some of it does not serve the story so much as it's like stuff so that we can make it clear that kids kids don't read this <laughs> One thing that I found very interesting about this adaptation was really, first of all, taking that part to heart, right? Like the adaptation is not the thing itself. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you're changing media, then things are going to not work or work like differently, right? In a in a different medium than on the page. So, you know, and obviously we'll probably talk a little bit later about maybe some of the furor around some of this um, from certain un... <laughs> <laughs> uneducated corners of the internet i don't know what to say jerk stand unenlightened Jerks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go all those things um but i thought what was interesting and what i really liked about this and i think you know this is where gaming's experience with good omen sort of comes into play is kind of gives you a second bite of the apple right like you know he made this fantastic work but it's also a work that's 30 years old yep you know there's and a lot of stuff a in relatively there. young young uh, fell right and author, so there's yeah. stuff right. in there that not only doesn't necessarily align with perhaps the way society has changed in 30 years, but also just he has refined his storytelling. And I think one of the strengths of the show is being able to sort of rejigger narrative elements and streamline things. And like, you know, mm -hmm. we mentioned the DC Comics cameos yep. and how those don't happen. Like all of that is to the good in terms of making this story stronger. And what struck me most about that was, I think the first volume of Sandman is not my favorite no it's it's, <laughs> it's not. not the it's not one I will of the say, best there like, are times it, i've gone tough. back when i've done my rereads i skip the first section because it's like nah i've seen that you know and, and to me some of the the highlights just, are later later or the later stories yeah. <laughs> but but the the episodes that built that story this time around i felt much more compelling just yeah, because yes. of the fact that he's able to rearrange the elements and sort of weave stuff in together and make it a much stronger story overall. Like, and a lot of that, you know, goes to, uh, you know, the casting and stuff like that, but also just thinking about the adaptation of how do I move a comic uh, to the screen in the same way that with Good Omens, he had to move a book to the screen. And that's, that's an art in and of itself. So big kudos on that front for being able to be like, hey, I'm not going to just, even though there are scenes that are feel, you know, they are basically directly ripped from panels in the comics. It's used sparingly. Not every shot is just a recreation. This isn't Zack right. Snyder's Watchmen. Not every shot <laughs> right. is a recreation of a panel from the page. It hits the iconic ones. Yeah, I'd say, too, there was two things that emerged for me that watching the series that I thought were very strong that are, um, again, in the comic books. But I, uh, they're, they're longer running themes because the comics ran over such a longer period of time. And I think this may be part of why uh, the show can be compelling to fresh watchers because i saw this with a fresh eye the first is that there's this i think very strong statement that dream was captured and then the world went to crap and so we all everyone wants an explanation like why did the entire world go crazy before world war one like what happened that we had this sort of worldwide um destruction of of norms and uh mass death like th these things have been going on in different ways across history of course you can't just say it happened in 1906 or 11 or whatever year but I think the series posits very strongly that the absence of dream caused much of the world's ills. Now, Gaiman can't, unfortunately, deliver us from those ills by just doing a TV series, but it is an interesting framing to say, why did we have suddenly world wars and destruction and and 
Holocaust and this endless horror and this change in life. Well, here's one explanation, right? Is is a fundamental force of the universe was captured and it put everything out of order. And so the series gets to use that. He's got to put things back in order. But the other theme, and it's it's obviously in the comics, but I think really, really emphasized here is how quickly, or not how quickly, I'm sorry, but how much uh, this force of nature created by humanity or by consciousness, I should say, the consciousness of the universe creates these seven different forces is kind of the implication. You know, death says the first living thing died. I was there. Right. <clears throat> but she wasn't there before then. And so uh, dream is thinks of himself as unchanging. And in this series, he changes substantially. And in the mm-hmm. books, it takes a lot longer, obviously. You don't want to see a character introduced and then immediately go through transformations. You have to spend all this establishing time in the comic books to make them this sort of almost seemingly cruel and placable force, and then to see that sort of break down. And so I thought the series did a great job of not... Um, you know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, I'm a big Rex Stout fan, right? And in the first, uh, I think it was, um, oh, from the 80s, uh, they did an adaptation of the of the uh, Nero Wolf novels. And Nero Wolf's most famous characteristic is that he never leaves his brownstone. And the first episode, he left his brownstone. I'm like, oh, you can't. No, you can't do that. So here, I had the same reaction. Like, even the first episode, we had seen Dream change. We'd seen him exercise forgiveness. It would, you know, even after him in captivity for 100 years, or even anger, it wouldn't have worked. And so they kind of, they, they pulled it out. And particularly that wonderful episode with death, like that becomes a fulcrum, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or a pivot that lets them open it up. And anyway, I thought that arc was so beautifully explored here without disturbing that fundamental kind of critical component of what these, you know, personifications are supposed to be. I, I want to lean into that for a second, uh, because we'll talk I think later on about uh, what we know, those of us who've read the comics all the way through, what we know about where the story is going and how we feel about how this all sets it up. But one big difference that I noticed between this series and the comics is that it's a it is a warmer story than the mm. comics were. Not you know the characters are uh, are are more fleshed out, um, a little more you know you know you're giving your actors something to do. These characters in the comics, you know, Morpheus is forbidding and foreboding and um, much more icy in a lot of in, in a lot of places. Um, it's not quite so here with Tom Sturridge and uh, to the point that when the Sandman is required to be icy, when he um, takes the baby, when he unmakes the Corinthian when he turns his back on his wife on his, on his lover who was in hell you know it almost sound it almost seems a little out of place and that is one of the areas where again some of my friends in fandom who haven't been into the comics they found these characters some of them anyway difficult to relate to difficult to get anything out of and this is another one of those times when i really want to turn over to sarah and say (laughs) why do you how did how did these characters grab you um well like dan um i i kind of broke it up into the 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 season um into a three parts we had the first part we kind of had that one episode interregnum and then we had the second part and i the first part was the strong part for me that was the bit that like really resonated i enjoyed the second part the the 
the the bit after the interregnum with Rose, etc. But um, the first bit really resonated for me. Um, and uh, to your point about like whether or not um, Dream's coldness, his inhumanity um, came through um, because he was warmer than the comics, I think it almost made it more jarring. That that it was more impactful because um, Storm, uh, Tom Sturridge's um, dream was warmer, was softer. Um, that when he had, when the inhumanity came through, you were like, "Oh, right, yes, okay, this is not a person. <laughs> this is this is not um, a, a, a someone who's human that I would expect humanity from." Um, and that that it was almost like. Um, I was being lulled into a false sense of security. Um, so when it pop, when he popped out and his inhumanity arose, I was like, "Oh, yep, that that's right." Um, I, if I had one criticism, I would have liked that a little bit more frequently because that would have destabilized me more. Because mm. um, I, I, I would have felt like, okay, anything could happen. But because in places he was almost too human, I was like, okay, um, I, it's like I could predict what was going to occur um, because it was like, okay, what would a human do? But if we'd had more glimpses of the inhumanity of dream, of the endless, um, then I would have seen... Um, uh, more possibilities for things to get really screwed up because I wouldn't have known what he was going to do. So there was there was nothing that was like completely unpredictable to me. And I would have liked a higher degree of unpredictability. I was just sort of thinking back a bit to the, the contrast of, um, you know, Dream being so inflexible and firm about, you know, his role. He's got to get his tools back so he can resume his role uh, and that driving the first half of the story so much. And then what I thought, as Glenn was talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, we are seeing changes in Dream much sooner compared to the comics, and how that's kind of reflected in um, minor character story arcs. I was, like, super, super taken with the Doll's House section, the second half of the season, and what they did, especially with the character Gaunt, the third escaped nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um you know, in the comics, they do something completely different. Um, and there's reasons for that, um, that we can talk about when we get into like firmly into comic territory. That was especially a section where I would be going like, I'd be watching and going like, wait, that's different from the comics. And then like by the end of that episode, or at the latest, by the end of the next episode, I'd be like, oh, okay, I see why they needed to do that. Um, so, you know, going back to how well adapted it is. But Gaunt's mini arc of not wanting to be a nightmare anymore and defying Dream in that aspect, escaping, finding Jed and protecting, make, making her mission to her, the mission, her reason to protect him um, and try to take care of him, uh, assuming his, the, the role of his mother, um, because, you know, Rose and Jed's mother is a presence in the comics. She's, you know, she's there as a character. Um, but then. At the end, Dream is playing in his sandbox and making and recreating her. He gives her wings, mm. literal metamorphosis. And the way I feel that's going to foreshadow things to come, 
But in, but even if it didn't, in and of itself, is such a gloriously pretty message. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. and I love it. I appreciate. We've talked a lot about Dream. Who it makes sense. He's it's a big deal. The character, the show's named after him. Uh, but I appreciate the the depictions of his. I guess the kind of sidekicks, uh, Lucian the librarian, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, Matthew the Raven, who I think help the viewer along by kind of asking questions and framing things yes. and being a person for Dream to talk to. And you know, comics have a thing where there can be more voiceovers and just you know, character thinking themselves in a box of text, and that that doesn't work for TV. Uh, but the uh, you know they, they, the way they use uh, Lucien and Matthew the Raven uh, really works to kind of move things along and it you know I think I, it I was, helps that I like, was worried Patton Oswalt was going to would be to Patton Oswalt and I thought he was absolutely perfect I thought they used yeah he's a little uh, his, uh, reserved for Patton Oswalt maybe <laughs> but it works <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well, that's exactly it but I think they used his nature and even for you know a lot of people he's obviously well people are aware of him I think there's a little bit of that um, expectation of how Patton Oswalt usually presents himself that I think worked because I, I he's got such an expressive voice and I think he does do a great job in animation and in, and in this you know sort of pseudo animation voicing a raven but even that whole little bit with uh jessamy with the raven the mm-hmm. dying mm-hmm. that i don't is that in the comics i don't even remember it's if it not. is not in the same way it's a beautiful it's a beautiful bit it's a beautiful uh layering they put in and then you bring in matthew one thing they haven't i don't want to this isn't that much of a spoiler thing but the thing i don't think they've really done except with matthew is the idea that dreams subjects are you know his the people who are dreaming often serve dream or serve the yeah. dreaming mm-hmm. and i think matthew is the only one who said well i died and then suddenly i'm a raven it's like oh yeah well that's kind of a whole other thing but i'm thinking of a i'm thinking of the scene in which uh in the comics in which a bunch of sleeping people are acting as uh servers at a, a, t- at a table at a dinner and, yeah yeah and they're like uh they're like wait don't i know you and it's all they're all dressed in bed clothes and, or bed clothes sorry in uh, pajamas and things and i thought i wonder if they'll bring more of that in because it's a clever uh, can see anyway, but I thought I thought Matthew, um, I I thought he was he was uh, he was he appeared so much like he became such a big part of the show. But I thought they used him very well. I thought they used mm-hmm. him and Pat Oswalt very well. I know some people, uh, and maybe that was you, Shannon, in the Slack a couple weeks or months back. You know, there are things that in the comic stream kind of has to do alone, and they feel kind of perhaps desolate and different tonally versus in the show Matthew tags along and I feel like Matthew's role is basically to be like what the heck is going on and so the dream has to like explain what the heck is going on for us uh yeah. Shannon you were gonna say something oh uh, just briefly to one tiny counterpoint I have run across a couple of uh people who um I don't even remember I don't remember if they watched I don't remember if they read the comics or just watched the show, but I have had a couple people saying like I couldn't get past the fact that that was Pat Oswalt talking mm. it's like well you know <laughs> Yeah, it I mean, he does He does is. a lot of voice acting. He does not have a, yeah. I think his performances have a range. He is not a voice actor who has a range of voices. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So it is, it is, I will say, you know, Patton Oswalt uh, voices MODOK in an animated show. Yes, yes. And it's, you know, it's kind of an adult swim, you know, robot chickeny, manic violence kind of thing. And it's the same voice. It was very jarring, similarly to go from, uh, you know, the voice of Ted Lasso is uh, a hitman on Hitmonkey. And it's like, what now? You murder people? Uh, so it, it is hard when people their voice is so iconic i I did like that contrast it is an interesting bit in terms of this show i mean you mentioned i think tony you said at the beginning like uh, a lot of these actors tom sturge included are not 
people who are necessarily household names or super no. popular known to other places. Um, I did think it was interesting in cases where there are people like I'm trying to think of other people who sort of jumped out at me. Might be Gwendolyn Christie and yes. Jenna Coleman, um, you know, who I, who I think also, you know, they, this show does a nice job in most places of sort of making sure that a it's not super distracting when you recognize somebody and also having like these <laughs> elevating uh you know these um you know uh, uh, lesser known actors i think the one the one actor who got me because i stared at them for a while being like why do i know this person was actually uh sarah niles yes yes <laughs> God, yes i had the same reaction <laughs> like who is that why do we know, oh, know it's, her it's i recognized her instantly and oh my God, that sequence, I mean, oh, it man. was masterfully crafted even as it was yep. to have yep. Rosemary drive um, John D. to his to his destination. And, you know, I am sitting here, I mean, Chip can testify. I was on like literal pins and needles going like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, not her, not her, not her, not her. Um, so for, for those of us for who like knew the comics with, uh, and knew Sarah, Sarah, Niles. Sarah Niles and loved her because of Ted Lasso. Yeah, and, yeah. she's the therapist in Ted Lasso. Oh, oh my God, yeah, so I was well. I was on the edge of my seat that scene. I mm -hmm. was just like, this, this, just no, 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 mm -hmm. please no. And yeah, yeah, oh God. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I, if her not dying was the right outcome. Um, as much as I didn't want her killed, um, I, I, I got to the end, it was like, so why didn't they kill her? I, I, and, I have to um, assume that that's going to go somewhere. I don't know. It just, it felt like yeah. things happen for a reason in this show is my, you know, that it is a loose end, right? They were trying to do more of a, I feel like this show is more about redemption than the comics ever were. And I, th I mean, I think that's a theme. There's a lot of things that are being redeemed. And even in the end of that episode, uh, uh the fact that. Dream says, you know, I can't really hold you. I can't, I'm not, can't, you know, I can't remember his exact words, but it's, it's no human was supposed to ever be exposed to this. So what happened to you, you can't be held to account in the way that, you know, some other power would or what have you. Your tool, and he also, as he recognizes that John D is being used as a, as part of the tools of all the machinations of, of other, uh, of desire and so forth. But, um, but I think for redemption, and also I have to think they did that because they knew that everyone who read the comics knows that searing. I mean, when that episode, I'm like, oh no, it's this episode. Am I ready to watch this? I know what's going to come, and how are they going to portray it? And I think they did an incredible job. I but didn't remember we, it at all. <laughs> oh my god, it's just seared in my memory that that issue, or or was it a couple issues? And then it resonates issue. in yeah, the future the too. Twenty four hours, issue? yeah. Um. Oh yeah, and, and so, but the then uh, I the those of us who remembered it right, they whatever percentage of Netflix viewers are, I feel like they that was also set up. Oh, we can subvert everyone's expectation because we're mm -hmm. we're totally and you know we we admire this character. We see how she's dealing with the situation. We expect she'll be killed, and in fact, we get our you know there is more redemption. He redeems her because, and I mean in the. I feel he's presented in the comic books as a much simpler character, someone who's been driven around the bend, where here mm -hmm. he's a driven character. He has intent. Mm. That scene in the diner was just one of the best scenes in the entire series. Um, yeah, it was it was traumatizing. It was that it was that feeling of inhumanity that I kind of felt was a little bit missed in 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 Dream was present in what John D was doing in that because. Uh, at a certain point with that scene, I could almost anything could happen 
the most horrible thing that I could imagine could happen, and he was a, it, it was possible for that to occur. That scene, that 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 whole passage there with um in the diner was traumatizing as hell, and um and um it had that of that possibility of anything occurring that I felt was possibly a little bit missing in Dream. Yeah, but that also maybe sort of you know one of the reasons that. Rosemary is spared and, you know, D has, you know, gone, you know, or, or claiming that, you know, the stone is going to defend him rather than saying that he's the one uh, killing the security guards when he escapes uh, the um, psychiatric ward, uh, when he um, kills the gas station attendant. You know, the idea is that, you know, oh, if, if you attack me, it's going to protect me and do horrible things to you. So, you know, and then he turns around and decides that, you know, Sarah is a, that um, Rosemary is a good enough person that deserves protection, that deserves um, to, to live out the rest of her life. So that when he goes into the diner and we've got this nice mix of people, you know, some of them seem to be really sweet. Some of them, you know, seem they have some issues. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you genuinely like, I think it helps keep the suspense there for mm. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? Um, who, that are trapped in there. Did you think the guy in the the, the chef in the kitchen or the cook in the kitchen? Uh, I felt he really did some good. I, I think the acting was independent. I'm not saying this that he was ripping somebody yeah. off for their style, but it was very Nick Offerman. I was like, I could picture that whole scene in Nick Offerman's voice. <laughs> Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I would, something I wanted to throw out, sorry to change the gears too fast, but I, I think we should discuss the Corinthian. <laughs> Because mm. I oh, wanted yeah. to give credit to Boyd, Hol <laughs> Boyd Holbrook's presence and his performance in this show. I thought was that's a that's a tough character to yeah. sort of get inside <laughs> the head of. And in fact, I actually found him much more frightening in the comics than I did here. Yeah, um, mm. but he's very he's very sinister here, which I kind of enjoy. And but he's got like a lot. There's more depth to him here, I think, than he there is does in the comics. More. He's he's a little bit just yeah. a force of nature he's, in the yeah, comic. Yeah, he's more oh. present, and he kind of has an interesting drive behind him that I think is maybe a little bit more vague in the comics, whereas he is just like, you know, this boogeyman in many There's ways. There's also, I, I feel like, I don't remember if this is in the comics, but the the kind of, you know, so he ends up at a serial convention, serial, sorry, serial killer convention, uh, not great. a serial that's, fan convention. That's that's, that's across town. Yeah. Don't get them mixed up. But there's kind of the suggestion because he uh, is this nightmare that's been wandering around for a hundred years, that he is kind of the... Uh, the, proto it, serial the proto killer. serial killer slash you mm. know mm -hmm. uh yeah that he he has inspired directly or indirectly a generation of yeah, <laughs> serial yeah, killers yeah. murderers hateful people uh you know that I, I think as dream calls them very small people that you know uh uh, uh, have tried to build themselves up as gods. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> largely comes from the comic. Yeah, yeah. It's a real eye for detail. Yeah, yeah. And, they, uh, and it tightens up the series to make uh, the Corinthian 
the one that Dream was trying to capture at the mm-hmm. beginning when mm-hmm. he himself is captured. And then there's a hundred years where the Corinthian can keep going doing whatever he right. wants to exactly. do. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. rather than it being some vague battle that had worn Dream out and therefore um, made him weak enough to be captured. The narrative structure of the show is a little bit tighter and a little bit more structured. I yes. mean, the, the first chunk of the comics is basically stuff is happening and there's an explanation that like the vortex, vortices or, or vortex is drawing things together and that that's why mm-hmm. characters converge as opposed to here, you know, like like the Corinthian is kind of hunting for things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's more intentionality in this show, which I think probably modern viewers of a show kind of need as opposed to coincidence um, or or the coincidences because of magic Um. it's also funny as you could think like if this were uh in the olden days when tv shows had 39 episodes a year or something like that (laughs) but or even like 25 it's like this was this is sort of three or four maybe three and a half seasons of a show that had more room but you know i mean i've seen gaiman interviewed and talked about it i I do love how open he's being he's like this is a really expensive show i don't know if we're going to make the numbers because it really costs a lot of money and i got no complaints because netflix netflix funded it they've been totally supportive but they got to do what makes sense for them and i'm like yeah but it was so expensive that they couldn't do 20 episodes or or you know and so you have this stuff that's really compressed it does. I mean, I think in some ways that's a good thing. I feel like yeah, uh, yeah. there's a lot of Netflix series that have a lot of sag in the middle. Uh, it does feel a little bit like when they made this, they thought that maybe they'd only ever get one season. And so they better put yeah. it all on the line here. And I think there's a little bit more of the like dream gets an arc in these that he does not get in the comics. And, you know, they need an arc for their protagonists. Uh, it is uh, frustrating that, you know, my understanding of this show is extremely popular and was, you know, a huge hit on Netflix, but has not been renewed for a second season yet. Uh, and I mean, I guess it's that challenging thing where something can be very successful and popular, but maybe not successful and popular enough for how many zillions of dollars it costs. It's, and, there's uh, a whole other episode about how Netflix does things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Insert yeah. standard rant here about how this really should have been a weekly drop. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen so many people talk about, you know, it's like, you know, the, the idea is that Netflix wants you to binge it all that weekend in a like a sitting. And so many people I've seen like, you know, chatting online. I, I couldn't. I needed to savor it. I needed to do an episode yes, a night yes. or an episode every couple <laughs> so, of nights because yeah, I there needed are some to- heavy episodes in here. Like, what would it do to your yeah. brain to watch oh, these yeah. all in one sitting? Yeah. Also, speaking as someone who this came out like a week after I had yeah. a kid, like, there's no way I'm going to watch all of this in a weekend. Sorry, happens. I don't have that kind of time. You watched it 10 minutes a day for exactly. 40 days. Yeah, I did, I did savor it. Yeah, of that. well, I, I think the feeling of like a second season is is because like my one criticism of the Corinthian was he didn't feel like a real foil to Morpheus. Mm-hmm. He, he was like, I mean, he was a bad guy. And so you, uh, he's your antagonist to your protagonist, but it was, it was like, he wasn't at the same level as Morpheus. Right, and it's right. only at, w- w- with the exception of uh, John Dee, who I think could have been possibly such if they'd written the, 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 the storyline differently, but it's only in the, like the last episode that we discover who the actual antagonists yes. are and mm-hmm. and it's like okay so now you're giving us an antagonist uh, antagonist worthy of mm-hmm. of of morpheus and you've drifted to us and yet you're not going to give us a second season yeah what's up with and that even, um, you know and even that they they again sorry for the constant uh <laughs> connections to the comic but like 
you know, there's a scene where Desire like appears at the end of the episode, like you know, rubbing their hands to me, like, ha, 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 my plan, my plan. Yeah. and it's like Desire doesn't show up in the comics until later, right? It's it's you know, but it's like they needed basically more to show you what's happening behind the scenes, and that you know, the idea that one of you know Dream's uh, siblings is is plotting uh, against Dream, and well, the and, very yeah. nature of this series is that you're a primary character and his siblings are the universal personifications of absolutely uh, indomitable forces, death, dreaming, desiring, despairing, you know, there is nothing bigger than them. Yeah. There is a, you know, there's a MacGuffin that happens that traps dream in a fishbowl. But other than that, there are no other characters other than the endless themselves who can possibly be on um, Dream's maybe. level. Well, Lucifer. Maybe. Maybe. Lucifer. 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 Also, yeah. uh-huh. and the the Arinies, <laughs> I, I mean, the Arinies are a much more yeah. important part Chip, of Chip, the... let me introduce you to the first of the fallen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's a hell of a CV st- uh, topper there. I, I, you know? I, I, excuse me, in the comics, the first <laughs> of the fallen and the Lucifer were different characters. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Oh, oh and in the comics, Lucifer only co-rules hell. It's true. Um, they've left us. Mm-hmm. They've left us with you know going into a putative second season. Though you do have uh, Lucifer, you have Desire, you have uh, um, the the uh, sorry the uh, Furies, the Arinies, who are much more important in the comics. But I really liked how they treated them here. So they're kind of and even the Calliope. Uh, you know, bonus at the end there, tying in, we suddenly get a glimpse of this other life of Morpheus, which is a huge deal in the comics and plays out over many, many issues. So you sort of feel like they've set up, I mean, from having kind of one big, well, you know, the the disruption of Dream's um, control over the Dreaming and his capture, and then this sort of one big, you know, and defeating John D, sort of defeating him, and then the one big bad who was easy to defeat. Now we go into from this they set up at least four and maybe more threads that could really explode um i mean for 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 people who've watched the series they would come out of it thinking oh these are four things i need to keep track of as opposed to people reading the comics where you know there's like 400 other things that they haven't brought up yet as uh david Schaub says in the chat i appreciate this dream's primary antagonist is dream uh so you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not wrong no yeah, i mean yeah. it's not a it's not a series again drawing from larger comics idea it's not a series that's really about fighting a bad guy right it's not mm-hmm. it's an exploration of stuff yes, you know yes. using all these different facets but like to the to the point that i think chip you were making like it's not like we're gonna like all right it's it's dream versus lucifer who's gonna win in this punch-up like even though we have those head-to-head confrontations ultimately this is something you know it's a larger story about people and you know the world that we live in and all these sort of like numinous concepts uh, of uh, you know, dreaming and life and death and all of that. So I, I, it's you know viewed through a prism and a lens to sort of reflect uh, this fantastical realm. But you know, it's not it's not a superhero comic where we're going to have them have a giant uh, Infinity War style fight at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a journey. It is it is mm-hmm. a it is a character journey mm-hmm. for Dream, and it just sort of hit me. I've seen you know here and there people saying like, well, the first half was so cohesive and was so good, and you know the second half didn't really grab me. But then so many people absolutely adore uh, the sound of her wings, the central um, mm. episode with um, Dream talking to death or, or, oh, that was and, great. Um, and yeah. then, and then uh, his um, relationship with Hob. 
Uh, but the fact that, you know, death is kind of the one who sort of calls it. She's like, you know, come on, dude, snap out of yeah. it. You know, <laughs> um, And then he doesn't exactly snap out of it. I mean, the second half of the series is about he's got to deal with this vortex issue that is a danger to the dreaming. And for the most part, he's still kind of playing by his previous rules and the traumas of him being imprisoned mm-hmm. for that long don't seem to have affected him as much as we think until towards the end when between mm-hmm. uh, Lucien and, you know, Rose herself and, and basically everyone giving another talking to, um, which results in the end of him, you know, going and, you know, giving Gaunt her wish to recreate her in a new in a new form. So we, we see that, you know, yes, okay, he's absorbing the lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that we only get a very little bit of uh, death. Uh, such a beloved character from the comics. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, just such a, a great character with the idea that, you know, the personification of uh, of death itself, not, not a Grim Reaper, but a, you know, uh, older sister, kinder, wiser uh, goth uh, who's going to hang out with Dream and kind of give him a hard time about like, you know, why? Why so serious? Uh, and, and why did you call me? <laughs> yeah. Why don't why? Why do you ever pick up the phone, brother? What's the deal? Um, well, he sort of blames her for not rescuing him. But she's like, you never, you know, I, I, I got the impression in the world of the TV series. I'm not sure if Dream could have asked for help. I feel like he could have and didn't. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I read that scene as um, uh, that he was worried that if he called for death, death would be imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, that makes sense. And yeah, and and that was his concern for why he didn't call her. Now, yeah, again, yeah, like non-comic book reader here. So, um, but that was my reading of that scene was that he didn't call her because he was worried she'd be captured and things would be worse. My head cannon is kind of you know. Dream is this extremely powerful being uh, who has no friends and basically and well, (laughs) he has the people that could, uh, you know, the people that have the power to free him uh, benefit or don't mind that he is captured and and he is kind of on his own and that a lot of people don't care for his uh, company, (laughs) you know. Now, think about Dream like Queen Elizabeth II, though. Mm. Is, I was actually thinking about, and this is ridiculous, but it is true. Well, you are talking. So. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking. Oh, thank you. So, <laughs> reference acknowledged. So, it's that, it's that, you know, Dream has all these uh, strictures put upon him. So, he has incredible amount of power, but he has to exercise it in very specific ways, or ostensibly, uh, he can't, you know, uh, he can't exercise it anymore. And I was thinking about how everyone, you know, with the queen, Queen Elizabeth had all this power um, and people thought about what a luxurious life she lived in, lived in and the food she could eat, the freedom she had. And yet every day of her life was absolutely constricted. So, you know, yes, she did live in the lap of luxury. And yes, she did have all this, uh, uh, these resources and so forth, but the extent to which she could deploy them. And I thought it's actually a decent, you know, he is talking about himself as a ruler. And I think, Death actually describes her role even more that way that she uh, that she was able to accept her role after however many you know billions of years because she uh, realized it was a role of service that they all serve and so whatever you know and it's that it is that thing is that the, it's that in the end it's about serving humanity because humanity created them as personifications as opposed to being gods. 
But I think it is a lot of it in exactly in that way. It is the heavy as the head that wears the crown sort of situation. I mean, mm. and part of it is Dream has put himself in that box, right? Mm. And I love the, the best evidence for this is what is, I think, my favorite story in the entire run of the comics, which is the story with Hob, which mm. is just a wonderful story about essentially this guy who has no friends and then mm-hmm. gets one friend <laughs> um, and how that makes such a difference, right? Like, you know, the whole back and forth with him and Hob where like, Hob is like, well, you know, we're friends, and Dream gets pissed, you know, because he's like, I don't <laughs> too good to have friends. I'm yeah. better I than need that. Friends. Yeah, exactly. And of course, he does need friends, right? Like, and I love, I love that scene in the, in, in the comic, and also I think done really well here in the show of showing that it is sort of the crack in his armor mm-hmm. where he's like, I genuinely, I'm like, I tear up in that scene where he's <laughs> like, it's I, impolite to leave your friends waiting, right? Like yeah. that is a, it's a touching moment. And of course um, we need a, we need a story that takes place over the course of 500 years to show changes in Dream's personality. So. Also, the, also the costuming, please. <laughs> I loved Hob and I also mm. thought the acting, I thought he was great. I thought he was great, yeah, but it also, it's a good, um, it's a, good way to i think mediate that thing where again we we're told that death has no control over what she does and then she doesn't let this guy die so mm-hmm. right all, yeah. all i'm gonna say is there there is a reason that there are there over 700 fanfics were written to ship dream and hob within the last month <laughs> <laughs> reasonable that's yeah yeah also everyone in london is like yeah of course they're tearing down this place that was 500 years old yeah. of, course, right. of course they are and they're like, oh, i like uh, that there's a sign though there's somebody yeah. spray paints the sign yeah. the, the, the pub's over here now mm-hmm. speaking <laughs> of i mean uh we get we get the story with hob uh paired with the story with death uh which makes a lot of sense uh they're they're arranged differently in the comics but yeah. And then um, we got as a as a treat um, mm-hmm. a, a couple of weeks a, a couple of weeks after the major drop we did get an eleventh episode of the season with another two stories and if Sandman is to continue it's going to be fascinating to see how they square yeah. the fact that the comic alternated between long story arcs and episodic drop ins yes um, and it's it's a little weird. Why it? Why is episode eleven split in half? Why? Yeah, why is just it not had... twelve and eleven and twelve? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because... Why is it released two weeks after the you know series? Because one of my one of my favorite comic stories of them all is uh, ever in, in in any title is a dream of a thousand cats, mm. um, which is animated beautifully. It's completely different from everything else uh, that we get here. And then we get uh, the story with Arthur Darvel, Darvel uh, Calliope, um, and it's it's a these are all great stories. I think in and of themselves, they've got they've got their parts that artistic choices that you could question and things like that. But it is an odd thing to end Sandman with episode eleven when you think that there might not be an episode twelve. Um, the, we got, we, we basically close with, um, we basically close with the uh, anthology episodes and who knows? I, I gotta say, this is a great indication. The Calliope episode of the evolution of the presentation of Sandman too is I thought, uh, as great as the comic books are, I think they are prurient in some 
points. You know, they there is too much female nudity and sometimes male nudity intended entirely as a gratuitous element as opposed to something um, that's required by the plot. And, and sometimes it does that as well. And the treatment of Calliope was a perfect example of how you can take the same story. The core story is really good. It's it's nearly identical in, in, in all the important details. And I think it's told with more integrity the way it's presented. I thought it was really, yeah, it's really well executed and it's coming from, you know, a lot of places where we've had a lot of criticism about things, especially things like sexual violence depicted Mm -hmm. on screen at being over the top, being gratuitous, um, questioning whether or not it's necessary to depict that. I thought the, the way that was executed on screen here is just really artfully done. Um, you don't need to show it. It's there you can imply it and everything that you need to know is shown in that frame of him with the the scratch on his cheek. Um, I think that was a, it felt to me a much more interesting and uh, less prurient, as Glenn said, way to handle that conflict. And I also thought the casting a casting Darville, who is a, uh, oh I, I love seems like a lovely fellow and like you know but also <laughs> oh. seems like the perfect kind of guy for this where it's like i'm a good guy you know yeah. it's, I'm, I'm a good guy yeah. um i like to dra- i like to write yeah. strong female characters yeah um, yeah, yeah. Uh, not yeah. Sure. anybody oh else God. i'm sure yeah. no, don't bring that, up. <laughs> that was yeah. incredible yeah <laughs> but it is to, to to chip's point about the anthology stuff it does make it fascinating right in some ways you can make this the argument for is this a reason why they, you know, yeah, obviously Netflix doesn't do weekly drops really, but like it would be weird, right? Like you know, one week you're like, oh, uh, this week uh, you're expecting your statement. Here's a story about cats. And you're like, yep. what? And then next week, here's a story about <laughs> what? What's going on? Right. Like, oh, God, I mean, it would be like re- waiting every month for a 22 page piece of paper to come out and then being like, why is this the way this is? Yeah, it would never work. It would never work. Uh-huh. But uh, it is interesting to see, like, because there are so many variations in, you know, I think of I think was it fables and reflections which is just like all sorts of weird like standalone stories I don't know it would be fascinating to see I'd lo- this is one of the th- reasons I think for years people have been like this would be almost impossible to adapt mm-hmm. because it's all over the place it's not that it's like yeah. oh the special effects are too hard and it's too you know wild and out there and everything looks so um, you know outlandish on the page it's like no the storytelling is is unconventional in many ways and I th- it's kind of hard for people who are used to stand like a television show to digest but I think we have at least gotten to the point where we can you know we've seen peak TV has helped <laughs> us all figure out ways to to consume these kinds of content yeah. although it's funny is watching a show like you know watching uh, Rings of Power and uh, and Sandman you're like oh yeah we have events happening over far more than the length of human lives and sometimes spanning you know you're jumping back and forth hundreds or thousands of years and like trying to make a sense of that. I'm like, immortality is really a pain in the ass for storytelling. (laughs) That's true. Speaking of uh, immortality, we should mention uh, some other side characters that I think are uh, just lovely in their depictions and casting. Um, uh, So we get uh, Jenna Coleman as uh, Joanna Constantine and possibly her ancestor or something, uh, Lady Joanna Constantine. Definitely her ancestor. Ancestor, Mm -hmm. okay. Licensing Um, reasons, right? But I'm like, thank God for not another John Constantine. I mean, I wasn't wasn't sure why the choice was there. We have other John Constantines walking around. There's a John Constantine on Legends of Tomorrow, played by Matt Ryan, who I very much enjoy. There might be another John Constantine uh, Keanu Reeves movie coming. Uh, It was 
interesting to me that this is a, a gender flip Constantine, but also perhaps the most comics accurate depiction of Constantine mm. yeah. uh, I've ever Matt, seen. The Matt Ryan version is pretty close in many regards. This yes. one is even more so, I think, in terms of just there's the five minutes when we're at the church with her and she's doing the uh, uh, the uh, uh uh, is it going to be a wedding or is it going to be an exorcism? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the character name drops several minor characters from the Hellblazer comic books and yeah. uh, is just of. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I, I love that character. I don't know if that character resonated with other people. Uh, but oh, then yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I loved, I absolutely loved um, uh, Joanna Constantine. Jenna Coleman was um, like, when she walked in, I was like, oh, oh, it's, 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 it's Cara. And um, uh, yeah, from a Doctor Who, um, Mm -hmm. like fan. Um, Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much Doctor Who ish people in there, especially oh in episode 11. It's a small oh island people. Um, so. Look, why, why did we get more Mad Heady? That's my mm, complaint. I God. wanted more Mad Heady. The well, there's children... again, I was like, that is a pretty minor Hellblazer character sort of, who also yeah. appears in, in Sandman that they just like, you drop there. I guess you can do that. Yeah. Do people it. were casually very old in this show. And I mentioned Alex <laughs> at some point, is, I was like, wait, how old is she? She's 126. It's like, no one's going to comment on, um, it was a, uh, uh, not charity what's her name the uh the grandmother the great grandmother right unity. of uh unity yeah unity isn't she like 100 if you do the math and she's like 126 yeah, don't, don't do the math <laughs> don't do the math and nobody nobody she cares for a like, long oh, time but she, she well was rested. sleeping all the time she was well preserved yeah, it's good sleeping. for your cells mm. also she doesn't she doesn't make it much further so you know yeah. um <laughs> oh. so, well sorry and not to mention the fact that there's a floridian town that like apparently has like three million british people living in it mm. because every <laughs> other person in this floridian town like nobody went like why do you all have british accents mm. and you're like in the middle of Florida. I just don't mm. understand this. So yeah, there are some moments where you're going, what, what? Mm. No. <laughs> I do want to second uh, what Sarah said about uh, Jenna Coleman as a Doctor Who fan. I am, uh, I am familiar with her work, and uh, <laughs> and she's just, she is just great. Uh, yeah. And it was lovely. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a little funky to have her playing her. Uh, her ancestor as well uh mm. but in both worlds it was uh solid and um i appreciate the i appreciate the callback feeling that uh, you know here's jenna coleman playing a different version of herself in different time periods uh <laughs> she's pretty good at that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah she was yeah. a lot more confident like and and together in her in a contemporary incarnation of joanna constantine constantine mm. constantine uh, and um that you could tell that um, her ancestor wasn't on top of things as much as her contemporary, um, yeah, version was. I like to think um, she was, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like <laughs> to think she was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, I don't know if Matt Matt Ryan. Well, no, I don't want to say Matt Ryan. Who who's the one playing Lenders of Tomorrow? John Constantine. No, that's Matt that Ryan. Is, that's Matt Ryan. It is yeah. Matt. It's another Matt Ryan. I, I, I need to get these straight. Okay. Um. Yeah. I don't know if Matt Ryan's John Constantine would have worked in this situation. I felt that um, Joanna Constantine fitted better. Um, I, I like I, I've loved uh, Matt Ryan's John Constantine through um through the um Legends of Tomorrow series and the abortive attempt at uh, their own uh, his own series. Um, uh, and I've enjoyed that character, but I actually I would have felt it a little bit jarring to have him, yeah, yeah, come across from Legends of Tomorrow, which he wouldn't is a, fit in this setting. No, it, no, there's there's some no. tone yeah. there that doesn't no. mesh. Um. 
Yeah. I was surprised that we get, like, there's more Constantine here than in the comic. Sorry for the comic stock. But again, specifically, yeah. like, they give you, there's Constantine origin stuff here that we get with Jenna Coleman in terms of showing that, you know, basically Constantine's origin as, a, as an Astro occult part, detective yeah. is, you know, basically an early exorcism that went horribly wrong and a, a girl who gets doomed to hell and you know, because of his mistakes and that he's walking around with that guilt. And also we get the, you know, guess what? Everyone who comes into John Constantine's life suffers for it. And we have the the ex-girlfriend who is, you know, addicted to sand and things don't go great for her. You know, it's, yeah. it's a great way to collapse the characters, though, because there's so many characters in the comic books. It'd be way too much for the yeah. series. And again, I think that's that econ uh, the economic or sort of the economy of uh, of collapsing plot and character while. Totally retaining the integrity. I mean, that's yeah, uh, just everything. Stephen Fry. When when I knew Stephen Fry was in the show, and, I, and I'm like, oh, of course he's gonna be Fiddler's Green. And then that anticipation of waiting for him to appear, and when he does, and you're like, oh, of course that's how he's gonna appear. He's gonna dress practically like Oscar Wilde, which is visiting America in the 1800s, and it's and it's kind of the way he's depicted in the books too. It's not like it's a different thing. But I'm like, of course, this is the perfect role for Stephen Fry, and then he executed it with that. I mean, with, his, with a perfect nature. So I'm so happy to see him like an old friend in the middle of this show that is, you know, full of sort of of different kinds of old friends. Yeah. The, what? Okay. I will admit that didn't work for me. Um, mm. I felt yeah. Uh, I felt. Stephen Fry was being Stephen Fry. Yeah, he, it, to me, it's the same. It's a little too, whereas I lose myself in, I think, every other role in this. There's a couple people. It's like, hey, you're from Taskmaster. You have a job now. Good for you. Um, <laughs> but Stephen Fry, it's a little bit like I am I am constantly, the, you know, you are Stephen Fry. I, I can't. That character is kind of Stephen Fry. And for me, who, who has seen almost nothing. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen almost nothing of Stephen Fry. And he was just, oh, my God. Yes, he's a perfect fiddler okay. screen. Oh, and he did yeah, so well. I, I feel like Stephen Fry either based his, I think Stephen Fry's current personality is either based on Fiddler's Green or vice versa because they are very it's like how Mark Twain became Mark Twain late in mm. life. Yeah, and but then of course there's um yeah, um Gwendolyn Christie as is um oh, Lucifer. Lucifer. Who, brilliant. Brilliant. And again, just, another character who exists in uh I have not seen it, but a popular yeah. uh, cop show. Uh, yes. I have seen every single episode of Lucifer because my, yep. my girlfriend uh -huh. forced me to. And um, <laughs> and so I watched all of it. And there's another character that would not have worked in yes. this. And <laughs> not remote. A, a part of me was was like, are they going to do it? Are they going to? No, no. It's, you know, it's just, hard. Once you, David Bowie's not available. And so we just, we got to do what we can. We soldier <laughs> on. We're casting other people. Uh, 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 if you yeah. can swap out if you can swap out Gwendolyn Christie for David Bowie mm. I'm willing to roll with that yeah to you'll, be honest, you'll, yeah. you'll you'll give it a try is that like yeah, if, we shot, if we yeah. swapped out Jenna Coleman for Sting is that what the that is that's the math Dan thank you for <laughs> doing it that's very funny uh, <laughs> <just checking. laughs> comics references a, a plenty Sarah yeah. you're going to enjoy it um, oh brilliant uh, yeah so I I mean I think Gwendolyn Christie is uh, fantastic uh, I always enjoy her if anything my main complaint is that there are things that she's in <clears throat> Star Wars where she's underused and it was like, why did you bring Gwendolyn Christie in for that? Uh, and yeah, you know, and and they did, uh, they they gave uh, the Lucifer character more to do here than in the uh, original comics, uh, which I appreciated. And I assume setting up for uh, even more Lucifer should the show uh, return. Uh, and and yeah. we got Mazakine. I thought, you know, yet another Mazakine. I was like, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Like, it just, it's funny. I, 
for <laughs> for characters from hell, I'm always like Mazakine. I think she's one of my favorite characters. Oh, Glenn, secondary oh. characters. Come on. Oh, you are, yeah. The thing she's is, um, Mazakine in um in the in the TV show. Um, oh man. Lucifer. Oh, she's wonderful. Abs- she's she, really absolutely yeah. wonderful. Now she's a character uh, and an actress that would have worked if they <laughs> yes. picked her up and, yes. and moved her over into the totally would have hundred percent worked. Totally um, right. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That character doesn't have as much to do here. No, yeah. uh, mm. so you know, but maybe in the future. Mm-hmm. And as far as uh, secondary characters, one more that we haven't really touched on that I think deserves a little bit of attention is Lucien. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. the the way Vivienne uh, Achampong, I don't know how to pronounce her name, um, just is so utterly brilliant in walking the line between trying to take care of the dreaming and serve dream versus trying to, you know, resisting smacking him upside the head, you know, which, which, you know, death can get away with that. You know, death can, mm. death can throw a baguette at, at dream. Lucien can't. So mm-hmm. Lucien has to find other ways to try and convince dream. Like, you know, these are some of the steps we need to take and yet still, and, and yet still showing how much that, you know, she cares about her, her Lord and master, you know, like that worries about him. Uh, want, wanting him to take a raven with you. Um, don't lose touch again. <laughs> it tells me how weak part of the show was. And I think maybe, I don't know if we'll all agree. Maybe I'll bring up this as a uh, point of contention is the last part. I did not find the whole Rose Walker thing that compelling. I enjoyed no. it. And I thought there were a lot of side quests going on at the same time that were a little more interesting. And I thought the whole serial killers presentation, like there was a little much of it, but I thought it was done very well and enjoyably in that context and the, and the, the portrayal and setup. Um, but, but Rose Walker, I mean, we haven't mentioned, I think we barely mentioned that whole plot and that is kind of the whole second half. It, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, there's a little bit of a by the numbers thing where they're putting pieces together to make happen and then they need a resolution of it. And again, I don't, I mean, watch the show so avidly. I'm not saying, well, that part was terrible or something, but I do think it demonstrates we're talking so much about the front loading and the standalone episodes and that part. It's like, well, that was kind of a, a key plot thing. And, and it just gets a little, it's a little by the way. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's enjoyable. It's interesting, but it doesn't stick with me, I guess the same way. I didn't as, feel uh, like she was I'll- in any danger. I didn't feel there were stakes for her, even though there are mm-hmm. huge stakes for her yeah I, I think it varies somewhat for you know i wound up enjoying it very much because that the doll's house is a volume of the comics that i reread on the regular because i like so many of the secondary characters um and i feel like most of the actors involved were able to bring them to life very well you know like i thought hal was a darling for example um and i was really and and the fact that jed was an actual front and center character compared to the comics where we don't see a whole lot of him um the the move to make him you know and this is again comic illusions i'm sorry uh to make him the sandman hero in his dream world and therefore you know make it make it make sense because of course that's a little kid's dream and you know any of the hokiness that you know if they had tried to do it the way it's originally done in the comics would not have flown <laughs> it just would not have flown um, it works in the comics because they are referencing a specific um, classic comic, Little Nemo. Um, mm-hmm. So the art style and the dialogue works there because it's an it's an homage, and that wouldn't have come across in in TV. So they reworked that entire section brilliantly. Um, so I mean, I personally enjoyed it, found it engaging. I can understand 
for some people, you know, why it may have been like, well, I'm not sure why this is, you know, why this is several arcs worth of of, of plot. Yeah, no, it didn't. I mean, again, I, I feel like I'm nitpick, nitpicking. So, um, it it I enjoyed it. It was fun. I enjoyed the 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 the, the character development of Morpheus. Um, but yeah, I, I the, the the that particular arc with Rose just didn't. I it, there was it was missing something. There's, I think there's an element of it where it's, is it grounded in reality or is it fantastical? And there's something with this weird in between where she's at this house in, in Florida briefly. And there's these very, very strange characters there with the Ken and Barbie and the, I, and in the my head, I, in my head, they're slotted as spider sisters, though. Maybe they're <laughs> sisters, maybe they're not. Uh, and then, you know, like Baylor's green living up in the attic is the normal one. Uh, and, and there's, I think there's kind of the, like, what is going on versus what is this view from, I get Rose is not a kid, but a, a young, a very young adult. Uh, and and then there's kind of me- uh, sandwiched in with that, like her missing brother who is like being abused and left in a basement. And it's just, there's kind of, I guess there's, there's the, you know, we have the diner scene where it feels like we have these normal people. And then through uh, proximity to the fantastical, they get, everything gets heightened and weird. And here we have these things that seem to just be weird before anything happens. Uh, I I also thought the later Hall character, I thought I I was watching it and I couldn't remember the character very well. And I was like, oh, she's going to betray Rose Walker. She's not who she appears to be. And I, I'm not blaming the actress at all, but more like, the way that character was used, it just seemed like she was, was practically c- not in the series. Yes. And then she was also very important. It was really There bizarre. was kind of something missing in terms of like, why are you here? Uh, and I think cut. that's yeah. the, and yeah. the, I think that's partly because of future comic developments that, yeah. you know, if they are going, if they're going to get their full five, yeah. whatever seasons they, they needed her established. Early. And no, there totally is a right. thing where, you know, the first half of the series is basically a comic to a, 45 minutes an hour of tv and the second half of the series is two comics per episode and i think some stuff gets smashed together uh i mean there are things you know like dream of a thousand cats and calliope work very nicely as half an episode uh but then there's other places where it's like there's maybe too much going on here and maybe you had Mm. to Mm. stretch things a little too quickly uh I, i think it's hard because you suddenly have this like here's a bunch of stuff that's not about dream and are you are you in for that or are you gonna be like where's dream why isn't dream in this episode uh listeners want to write in to know why why isn't everyone asking where dream is uh that is uh challenging yeah i think that that brings me to where 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 i'm really interested to see how this show develops if it's allowed to develop is we're never going to have a season eight of game of thrones situation here doesn't seem like it not on, uh, not on netflix yeah. i don't think this netflix is, allows this, that they are not they are not going to strike out their own territory it seems like that the that Neil Gaiman is an executive producer here. He has a very, very sweet deal with DC Comics in that, although he doesn't own the Sandman, nope. um, DC would be burning astonishing amounts of bridges if they if DC didn't allow Neil Gaiman to essentially control this. 
it is amazing what a person who has no legal claim to this has managed to stake out. I mean, good for him, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah in a world yeah. where, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I guess he's shown that he's willing to grim trigger them in a way that nobody else is, and he has enough money that he's not beholden to them. But I don't uh, know. It is in a world where everybody else is like, yeah, Marvel gave me a few thousand dollars to not say anything bad about them. Uh, yeah, he's got. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm going with that is that um, this is, I have every confidence that this is going to hew very closely to the comics all the way down to the end. This miniseries makes adjustments to, in some ways, very much improve on the comics. You know, um, I think that. It is very much a story for 2022, and the comics were mm. of their time. Um, but will it be able to veer significantly in the future if the story needs to? I don't think so. I think we are going to get the Sandman story of the comics uh, for the uh, for the for the run. I may be surprised, uh, and whether that 75 issue outline slash bible um serves the story well going forward for television um i don't think it's i don't think it's entirely assured um you've got you you've got uh fealty to the source material and respect for the creator and you've got some outstanding actors um and a writer's room that that um i did remarkable work with this season but i just don't think that it's a given that it's going to be that great or that well regarded uh, by um, by general fantasy fans and Netflix subscribers, they've still got to do the work. Other people, final thoughts: where they hope this goes next, what they'd like oh, to see. Are we going to do a uh, second spoiler horn, perhaps? I guess, yeah. I mean, I feel like we've done a lot of comics talk here already, but second spoiler horn for uh, things that we know happen in the comics. Sarah, cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my mind, the next season is, I think, you know, they gave us Calliope, which means that gives us insight into um, uh, Orpheus uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that whole plot with the, uh, the Furies um, is also the whole Lucifer. I mean, I was really intrigued because I, they've set up Lucifer to be Lucifer to be much more active in hell than in the comics, like much more invested in it as opposed to the, you know, the ennui kind of Lucifer in the, and, in the comics. And some of the ennui Lucifer in the comics, that the being one of the three rulers of hell was mm. Sandman inheriting oh God, hell continuity from other DC hell comics. Then that was like in continuity. As I will with, refer to my, remark 30 minutes yeah, that was in, in, in <laughs> to, like, to maintain consistencies with things they had shown about l uh i believe right. in swamp thing comics god help me. oh my god <laughs> um so that has to be a, that'll be a season i would think although mm-hmm. it it doesn't tie in directly with the lucifer tv series so i don't think it's really in conflict there's there's no. an overlap but I, I think that was that huge i mean that was a huge arc when you have you get all the other gods show up and you have this sort of various battles and uh, political machinations about who gets the key to hell and so forth that and i think that could be good uh that could be a good season too mm-hmm. everyone loves angels that are jerks it's true yeah <laughs> i mean it's the vertigo is the vertigo brand right it there. is yeah. Um, yeah i mean we've already done half of dream country which is volume three which is mm-hmm. the Calliope and dream of thousand cats i'd love to see a version of midsummer night's yes! dream that is yeah! a fantastic yes. story episode 22 um, please <laughs> yeah but that is like a it does not really affect anything else in no. the story 
Um, there is the fourth ship, uh, the fourth story in that volume too, which I honestly was reading the like the summary. I was like, I don't even remember that one. Um, but Season of Mist, which is the 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 Hell series that it's really that good. Glenn was reflecting on. I, that, I think that's the that's like the first arc that really got me into Sandman. I feel like you know I liked a lot of the stuff, but that one to me is the one that like clicked for me the most. Um, so like that, it, it does feel like they could do an interesting job of like, Hey, we've got these sort of season arcs. Maybe we can like package some of the, uh, the standalone stories as specials or like, I'd love to see them do almost like the doctor who approach, right. Where you do like mm-hmm. off season, yeah. right? Like, Oh, six months from now, there's a couple episodes that you can watch that are kind of standalone. Doesn't really matter. Oh, as, man, like, TV yeah. I mean, there's something. the whole, uh, world's end bit, which you right. know, dream yeah. pops up yeah. here and there, but it's all about these people trapped in this reality storm in the inn at the end of the world and they just entertain themselves by telling stories and the stories involve um you know all of you know different references to to the arc um i want to see that i mean there's some good stuff in there that's season five right the death of dream (laughs) is the last season they do and then the rebirth spoilers (laughs) um and i also fire off a third spoiler horn (laughs) yeah well i mean we're in the comics now but um (laughs) but i and i also want to see honestly my favorite is brief lives when when dream and delirium Delirium. Delirium and we meet destruction Oh, that's um, a whole wonderful yeah, that's a good, And I, I, I just, I can't wait to see who, the, you know, if this happens, who do they find to play Delirium and to play Le- Destruction? Luna Lovegood. Luna Lovegood. <laughs> the actress who played that role just Ooh. cast her. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that might be right? good. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, you know, and it, it also takes us to the point of, you know, the, what this is, the entire Sandman major arc is a giant tragedy in the fact that Dream ultimately cannot change enough and has to end himself and become a new incarnation of himself, which is where Lida's baby comes in, uh, which is why they had to seed that. Um, But, you know, they've already had, you know, the dreams character, you know, he's already changing so much. I'm wondering how the heck are they going to manage to, if they carry through that arc, how are they going to corner him Mm. to the point where he does have to make that decision? He has to fall in love again, and I don't know if they'll do it. The I, I don't mm. think. Do I remember in the in the main arc and like the current time frame in the comic books? I don't think he falls in love again. I think all the love affairs are in the past. And there's he's one. The consequences. Oh, no, there's the one. There's the, the one. Who's the one? The moon goddess or moon yes. uh, or priestess? But that's even that happens before the, we get a flashback kind of to screen. it. I think right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's all and it's oh, pretty I much see. off screen. Like they meet, yeah. and then there's a reference of of her leaving oh, him. Okay. Okay. And which which triggers the brief lives arc. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I, I'm willing to give Neil Gaiman the, uh, you know, the chance to hopefully ad- adapt things in some interesting ways. I think I am. I appreciate yeah. that. Are you telling that, me that you think Neil Gaiman is an accomplished writer, Tony? I'm is telling that you that I am glad <laughs> that um, I'm glad that American Gods and Good Omens came first. Because yeah. uh, those. I like that Tony uh, says yes. it's like he's an executive at Netflix who is ready to put the money over. Oh, yeah, Tony, good you have a few million dollars for, for Neil Gaiman I just, is what you're saying? I will say I watched all of American Gods. It's a little rocky and it got canceled before it got to end. That's sad. So I'm glad that that is. And that was know, a book. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that that got filed away before uh, th- this this got attempted. So, yeah, you know, sorry. Yeah, as someone that is, it has, like, again, not seen the comics, I want to see um, uh, Lucifer in the next um, season. Uh, I, I want to see 
um, what more what desire has has planned. Yeah, but my ma- but in addition to that, I want to see um, more of the siblings. I want to see mm-hmm. the the sibling interaction mm-hmm. because I loved how much um, the, the deaths and um, dreams interactions were. I I, I the 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 connection between um, desire and dream uh, was just what I got would just leave me wanting more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, without knowing the stories, of course. So like, yeah, grain of salt and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, that's what I want. I want to see loose the, the, the Lucifer attempting to usurp um, the endless or at least dream, but as, as a, as an overarching thing where we discover and learn more about the, um, the, 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 the other endless. And so- Yeah. Sarah, I will tell you, after you read all of uh, the Sandman, that's only 75 <laughs> issues to plow through, there is a there's a variety of spinoffs to the Sandman, uh, but I will say one that I, I actually really like is uh, there is a Lucifer spinoff, which I think is what the Netflix show was very, very... Very, That's very the, loosely inspired Mike, by Mike Carey. Uh, one, but right? yeah, Mike Mike Carey's uh, yeah. Lucifer series, which is basically like I I've retired to Los Angeles. Ugh, heaven and hell are still annoyed at me. Like now I have to deal with you know like immortal politics forever. Uh, are really enjoyable. I like them, and I think that was one of those things where I think the show is is relatively popular. But I was one of those like this isn't what that comics was. I'm an obnoxious jerk, and I don't like it. Um, it was the so, Hawkeye series of yeah. uh, of Sandman. It was good though. I really liked yeah. it. <laughs> it was uh, yeah it yeah the um the the, the TV series for um Lucifer. It's, like it's very different yes. um the first half is police procedural and that's what it like which what offends the me <laughs> yeah which is <laughs> it's, a good, Tony, it's a good show it's worth a, it's worth it's very fun yeah it's, it's worth watch. the this the the i'd say the probably the latter third of it is is getting more into the metaphysical mm-hmm. um and, and neil gaiman yeah. has a cameo in uh in one episode wait who does yeah. neil gaiman Neil Gaiman. Oh my! Yeah, he does a he does a voiceover for a one episode that's like set in an alternate history. He's like the narrator, oh, and that okay. version of Lucifer had a cameo in uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Alex, in the, Legends the, of Tomorrow. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, Overture is good too. The la- it's a it's a uh, many years later uh, addition to um, Sandman lore, and I think it actually works really well. It's a very complete story with a lot of the things that are best about the main series, but without having you know with with big stakes. Anything else people want to say or hope that they will see in future Sandmans other than we hope there's a second season? Yes, please. Netflix. Get off oh, your come butt. come on, Netflix. Renew it. Yeah, do you? Uh, Netflix. <laughs> for crying out loud. Don't be a jerk, Netflix. Nobody likes you. <laughs> I mean, everybody yeah. likes you. Sorry. The algorithm shows us that being a jerk is very profitable. Uh, so. <laughs> All right. Let us... Cl- close out our story then uh i you know it was great to talk about this show and about comics uh with such a lovely collection of nerds uh panel thank you all for being here chip Sutterth. thank you for being chip Sutterth. uh thank you uh not chip dan warren thanks for being here i'm gonna go back to sleep now uh sarah sarah sorry that we woke you up so early <laughs> <laughs> a perchance to dream yes mm. yeah no no if i was to ha- awake Am I awake? I don't mm. know. This is this is a great dream to participate with mm-hmm. all of you. And Glenn Fleischman, I'd be worried the podcast would be successful if I didn't include you. Thanks as always. I'm I'm happy to oblige. I'll go back to writing love letters to Chip Sutter mm. in the <laughs> past. In the past. 
Last but certainly not least, Shannon Sutterth. Uh, Shannon, I'll just mention, I, you were ahead of me in watching the show, and so I would always be like, oh, there's a Slack, Slack thread I can't read yet, because I haven't seen the episode where Shannon's talking about the episode. <laughs> and then I would watch the episode, and then I'd go digging back and find the thread. And so it was lovely to have you here as well. For the, Happy uh, the to real, be your guide. The Happy real to be time your guide. Slack discussion. Happy to be here, and may everyone have sweet dreams the next time you sleep. Incomparable listeners, thank you for listening. Sweet dreams. Goodbye, nerds.